Welcome back, everybody. This is Angela Highland with Build, Lead, Succeed, the official podcast of the National Association of Women in Construction. Today, I am joined by Kim Walker, who is the managing partner of Global Recruiters of Bradenton. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Angela. It's great to be a part of this. So exciting. Yeah. How are you doing? Doing all right? Doing great. We are just so busy (laughs) working, pulling some uh, long hours, but it's all worth it because we love helping people find great jobs. You know, I thought that this would be a great time to get you on this podcast because I can imagine that you are very busy, you know, um, with this great shift that's going on. There's a lot of people out there looking for work and think you've got some great things to say. Um, and you have a, an interesting niche in your recruiting practice. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So we started our company just over a year ago. Um, so excited. We chose commercial construction. Uh, and the reason why we chose commercial construction is because my husband and I have always had a passion for it. We came from the hospitality industry. My husband was operations and builder. I was sales and marketing. And we really just said to ourselves, if we could ever do whatever we wanted to do, we wanted to actually help great people and great companies match and come together. So we decided on commercial construction because we've always kind of had a passion for construction. I grew up uh, in the hospitality industry with my dad, but we built barns, we built retail stores, uh, we built a lot of things growing up as kids. And my husband, uh, he had his career with Walt Disney. So we've both been exposed to a lot of interesting, unique uh, architecture as well as construction. So that was a field that just was pulling to us. So We work with management positions and above, and we help companies place really good, strong talent that hopefully are with them for years to come. And that's our goal is to make that perfect match that meets the company's culture and also the individual's values and morals as well. Yeah, I think this is a it's an incredible market. And I I love that somebody is focusing on that because it is a lot of specialty And that you have a background on that, I think, is super important because it helps you understand their needs. You understand what, you know, they're looking for and how to help them um, with their best fit. Absolutely. We counted, uh, we tried to count at least, and we think we've, between the two of us, um, my husband and I, we probably hired over a thousand people in our career lifetime. So we know a little thing or two about hiring people and finding that right fit. I think where I take it a little step further is I hope to, once we get uh, more established and we build our brand, I hope to specialize in just placing women in construction. Because I know that for me, that's always been a huge passion of mine. Uh, I, I think seeing women on a construction site or in the office is amazing. And I hope to have that ability to really find the, all that great talent out there and help show them that they can be just as, just as successful as men in the industry. Yes. In fact, that's how I met you. You came to a NAWIC meeting and yeah. I, I think that's very smart of you to be able to get out there and get connected, not only for the women, right? Those women know other people. So I, right. uh, it to meet you and, and learn what you do. So, um, you know, because we've had, a tough couple of years 
So tell me a little bit about your business and how that has been to start a business in the middle of a pandemic is, is uh, pretty bold. So how's it been going for you? Well, it's actually going really good. And I think like anything else, it does take a little time. So the first year, last year, you know, was kind of more of the exploration years, uh, year, if you will. We were learning lots. We were developing and building our brand. And as we did that, we learned about organizations like NAWIC and um, uh, ABC and all these other different organizations that are really geared towards the commercial construction industry. So as we learned that, um, we decided that we could even get even more minute as we build our brand and as we build our business. But I think the hardest thing was for us in that first year was people were still very reluctant to actually meet with us in person. And we felt that coming from the hospitality world and building hotels, it was always very important to see people face to face, shake hands, and mm -hmm. COVID changed that remarkably. So we had to get super creative with uh, Zoom and other areas of um, technology to help us kind of build that relationship. And then once some of the organizations like NAWIC and others started having their regular monthly meetings, then we were able to, you know, put a, a true body face to a name instead of a Zoom picture. But yeah, it was it was a little challenging in the beginning, but I think that people really understood what the end goal was is, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have started a business where, um, you know, people really needed to, to have people understand where they were at. So having been in the hospitality industry, it was literally crippled for COVID mm. um, during COVID. So I think being able to share with people every type of every type of company or individual that, gosh, you know, we we went through probably the worst of it in, in our industry and having that understanding and really being able to kind of collaborate and share ideas of how to really go after some of the talent. Um, you know, and a lot of people were furloughed. So, you know, you think that it's really hard to find people, but last year I was able to find a lot of people because they were furloughed or their workload was, you know, diminishing significantly. So I was really able to help really good people, you know, keep their careers going um, and, and also help companies really find some of those key players that, you know, that they knew they were going to need down the road as things came back. And how interesting for you to have to do that in a virtual environment. It was almost like the timing was great for you because, it was. <laughs> you know, people, you couldn't meet face to face, right. which is a challenge, but going to a virtual format you were able to pivot and embrace this new technology so that you could extend your outreach and help yep. people and and help get people connected. So I think that um, all worked out in your favor. It's really cool. It did. Thank you. Yeah. Um, because, you know, construction has been essential. So it doesn't surprise me that you've been busy. Um, <laughs> you know, people are out there looking and it's not, I mean, just everybody, it's every position, you hear it every day, right? Yes. Whether yep. people are trying to work in food service or whether they're working in hospitality or, yep. uh, you know, it goes right on up the line to management and executive positions. So have you seen, um, a, a, well, I guess I should say, what kind of shifts have you seen in that middle management to executive market? Have you seen anything there? 
I have actually. I think the shifts, because we've heard about the great resignation that's been going on for a little while now, for about a year. And I think where I was a little bit skeptical, I thought maybe it was another kind of a marketing ploy to get, you know, um, certain industries to, you know, shed their skin a little bit. But, uh, you know, honestly, I'm just now starting to see the executive level individuals kind of starting to go, wow, I, I think I can, you know, I've done well, I've invested, I, I think I can actually take, you know, um, and resign and, and have a quality of life. And I, I think as we, as people really spent so much time with their families and at home during COVID, I think a mind shift started to change about about their quality of life and the way things go. So what we're seeing right now, specifically in the construction field, is sort of that um, uh, mid-senior level. So the vice presidents, um, business development to directors of construction, vice presidents of construction, that level over the last probably 30 days has started to increase. Before that, it was really a lot of your project managers, superintendents, um, directors of construction, maybe business development, um, you know, managers, things like that. That's where a lot of the movement was happening because they they were trying to follow the great resignation, but it didn't really happen for the construction industry, I feel, as as early as they thought it would, as they predicted. Um and the other interesting thing, too, is that because of this residential craze that's happening all over, we are seeing a lot more of the residential construction leaders wanting to go into the commercial space. And really? when I first started, yeah, when I first started the company, I, I, I solicited a lot of um, advice and mentorship from senior recruiters within our organization, our global organization that were in the residential space, because I wasn't sure if I should go residential knowing that that was going to be so huge coming up, but I really felt a passion for commercial construction. So I, I met with some of them and, you know, they, they said that um, people would never cross over. You'll never see a commercial guy going gal or guy going to um, residential and vice versa. Well, mm -hmm. I would say the last quarter of last year, we had more residential individuals that specialized in that requesting, hey, can you help me get into the commercial space? So I wow. thought that was really interesting. And I think it has to do with probably a little bit of supply and demand and the type of customer you work with. Let's face it, when you're working with someone's personal income and their, their home is their home, they get very passionate about that. And mm. rightfully so, who wouldn't, right? So I think that became very stressful to a lot of people when supplies you know, were dwindling or homes were going up too fast and maybe there were some issues. So I think it just became more of a, you know, this just doesn't feel right, I need to try something different. You know, another thing that um, really resonated well with me earlier this year is that 75% of the workforce that is currently still either unemployed or furloughed from this industry of construction industry has a um, either a bachelor's degree or a even higher degree in college. Oh. Yet, right, 75% of the unemployed in the construction industry have a college degree or higher. So it also speaks to me that, you know, Perhaps maybe everybody sort of was holding on to their lifestyle through because of their compensation. And now they're deciding that their lifestyle is changing because they lived a year in with their home and their families. And, you know, they've probably saved up a lot of money. 
maybe where they invested, why they could or something. So it just, it's been an interesting statistic, statistic that has happened that we saw kind of towards the end of last year and end of this year. Wow. That's really interesting. That's, yeah, I, I know a lot of people that just don't feel like they are where they want to be. And we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast before about how, uh, you know, people are starting to realize what's truly important and maybe it's time for a change. And so, you know, there are those out there that think that people just don't want to work. And I, I don't think that that's the case at all. So I don't see um, that at all. I think yeah. people are just readjusting and prioritizing, you know, yeah. what, what they want to do, where they want to be. I mean, I, I see a lot of opportunities um, just through, because we, we belong to a lot of job boards just to see what's happening out there and to learn. And you see a lot of advertisements for traveling superintendents. And I can tell you, I get more superintendents calling me up going, I don't want to travel anymore. Can you find me something where it's more local? So wow. I think that's a big part of it, you know, that that people's, people are starting to change a little bit their mindset. Um, the other thing that's very interesting, too, that um, is starting to really, you can see it through LinkedIn, for example. Many companies are going to colleges and to the, the um, technical schools because there is this gap of, of people between an age group that they're concerned that we're not getting the continuous flow of people coming out of college or coming out of the technical schools for trade or what have you. So there's a big push for a lot of the larger construction companies going to into the schools and then even into high schools. We've seen that where they're going in and trying to attract, you know, the, the students to get into the field, whether it be in through trade or, you know, otherwise through, through a college program. And I find that that's kind of interesting because before you never even would consider doing that and spend that kind of money. I know that other industries did that years ago, but specifically hospitality, insurance, financial, but seeing construction go that route is, is, is very interesting. Yeah, it is. So considering everything that we've said about your market I'd like to get your take on some uh, tips um, and some um, insights that you have that could help our listeners position themselves better, you know, to get their resume looked at over other resumes. You know, how do you make sure you get picked out of the pile? Uh, and also get some other advice from you about interviewing. So when people are out there looking, whether they need a recruiter or not, what are some key things that they can do to land a great job. So let's talk about the resume portion first, because I think that's kind of the entry level. And it's, it's critical, really, I feel. Um, having seen, you know, thousands of resumes over my career lifetime, I can tell you that, you know, it's, it's really important that you pay attention to the details. So first of all, think about your resume as sort of like your brand or your marketing. So if you really want someone to get you to that, you want to get into some into some office or in front of somebody, you really need that resume to kind of be your storytelling, if you will, and let it market you to who you really are. If you, you know, you have to be careful not to put, you know, a lot of false information. You should never have any false information on your resume, but you definitely want it to reflect the kind of person that you are and specifically your experience. So you want to make sure that the resume tells a very clear story of your experience and your work career. That's critical, number one. And then, of course, when it comes to the job hunt, you kind of need to sell yourself as the best candidate. And it's not so much, 
you know, saying how wrong everybody else is. But what do you have that might just give a little extra lift to you versus somebody else? Um, the next thing I would say for your resume is, you know, really look at the content, keeping the content more concise and brief versus putting a lot of paragraphs in there. I know that I come across a lot of resumes that are written by resume writers and they write these long drawn out resumes because they want to use the keywords that help search in those you know, search optimization. So online and through the job boards. But in actuality, you only need a few of those keywords within your resume. You don't need paragraphs and paragraphs because one thing that I find with my hiring managers and hiring directors is that the, all those words, they, they just get hung up on one or two and then they might pass you up because it just is too wordy and they don't want to have to go through it all and figure it all out. So keeping some keywords that match a job description or match the company culture would definitely benefit and then also tell your story that you could be a very good match for them. You definitely want to do your research. You know, you want to go, you want to go on the website, you want to look at the job description, you want to make sure you're qualified. That's the other thing. Make sure your resume speaks to the job and make sure that you actually have the qualifications for that job. So just applying for a bunch of jobs with a resume that doesn't qualify you could really put you out right away. And it's frustrating because you don't hear from them. They go, you go, you feel like you go into this big black hole. So make sure that your resume has those keywords in them, but not so many that it gets lost um, or doesn't, you know, it doesn't look attractive. You know, consider putting, I know it was a, a faux pas in the, in the early days, but in Europe, um, a CV as they call it, uh, has a photograph of the individual in their resume. And I think that's wonderful when you can actually see that person. So consider putting a small photograph, a professional looking photograph uh, on your resume, right on the front cover. Um, and then also divide your resume up very simply for the hiring manager or the recruiter to find exactly what you do, what you've done, what's your experience, you know, what's your education, and where's your, where have you been in your career, starting with your most recent position going into your future. And if you're somebody who's got about 30 or 35 years in the business, and maybe you have nine to 12 positions, you really only need a maximum of seven or eight positions. If you get too far into it, people are going to just put it off and go, wow, this is just too much. I, I, I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, I have a question. I yes. have a couple of questions um, okay. about this because this is really interesting. So I had to get back out onto the job market after like 25 years. And I to update my resume, it was like a total redo. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of research because I heard, listen, it's different now. You do resumes differently now than you did back in the day because now there's these uh, automated systems that are just scanning for those keywords, mm -hmm. like you said. Yep. I had heard that... You shouldn't put a picture on there because those systems kick your, kick your resume out. But I don't have any proof of that. I just kind of heard that through someone. So what's your take on that? Well, I think you should have several resumes, right? So your re your resume should be a work in progress and it should be ever changing. You should It should never be a, a PDF format. Um, it should always be a Word document that you can protect, locked, and you can also change. You can certainly turn it into a PDF when you want to attach it to something so nobody can change your information. But honestly, I would tell you that, you know, we've seen it both ways. We've seen where resumes have come over through job boards with photos on them, but the photos are distorted. 
So they don't really look good. So it depends on the format. So it is always good to, when you're going doing giving that final resume or you're having a recruiter submit your resume to the hiring manager, feel free to put a picture on there. The most important thing is that make sure the information is accurate. Mm. Um, you know, check for spelling and also your LinkedIn connect, uh, your LinkedIn, you know, um, profile uh, link, you know, those kind of things. Those should all be on there so that the individual could go. If you don't have a picture on there, they can go to LinkedIn. Make sure you have an updated picture on LinkedIn. That's also important. A lot yeah. of people don't want to put pictures on LinkedIn. I, I I tell whenever I have a candidate, I say, please go put a professional picture on LinkedIn. And, and if you don't have one, you can go to CVS and go get a passport photo and then just take you know a very small picture of your head. Just do that. Yeah. Do something because I think it is important. People are always leery. Like, how come they don't have a picture on there? And you know, it is kind of getting known. You know, one of the tools that I think is super um, cool that I use that I ask my candidates, I like, don't even worry about your resume because I'm going to, I'm just going to put, you know, your height, your, you know, the highlight of your careers. And I actually use a video resume. So I use a technique that actually we do an interview similar to this, like a podcast, or it is a video interview or it's what we call a, like a intro. It's like a little introduction of where I ask them a question. Um, I, I'm not on the video with them and they respond to the question. And those questions are something that maybe a hiring manager would ask in an initial interview. So it gives the hiring managers an opportunity to sort of see how you would answer a question. Um, and it also kind of lets them see you too. So that's, that's a really cool way to get people to have their videos. Now, it's not something you want to put on the job boards like an Indeed or Career Builder or Monster or anything like that, but it's certainly something that you can use to market yourself. Once you know a company is hiring, um, then you can you can actually do a little video of an introduction of yourself. And I think people really like that because they get to see you for who you are, especially if you can be as natural as possible, then they really get to know you. And then that puts you kind of on the edge of somebody else. Yeah, and that's part of that virtual side that I think is so cool. There's, I think we're going to see the hiring process, even if you don't have a recruiter, right? right. If you don't oh, yeah. have a recruiter, I think that system's going to change because I've heard this from people where those those uh, those automated systems that just parse your resume, people are frustrated because they're losing yeah. out on good candidates. And they LinkedIn really is so powerful. Like you said, I think LinkedIn is amazing if you're looking for work and you can attach a video in LinkedIn, yes, you know, you can absolutely. put that down in your feed mm -hmm. and people can really learn a lot about you. So I think those are all really good tools. I also yeah, like I, what you said about having different resumes because, you know, especially the older you get and the more experience you get, you you can't get it all on one and you need right. to consolidate. And we learned years and years ago that you got to list, list every job in chronological order. And now you don't need to do that anymore. Right? Well, I wouldn't say uh, you do need to have chronological, maybe for the last, you know, depending on the job you're going for. Yes, you do have to have that, but it doesn't need to be the main focus like it used to be. Really, your skill set and, and education and also the other thing that people love to see is what have you done in within your career? Have you volunteered? Have you, yeah. you know, have you done anything outside of your, your life? It gives a full picture of who you are when you can speak to, you know, your full life, not just here's what I did for the last two years or six years or 20 years. And so I think that's really important and that you arrange your resume that's not only speaks to the job, but also again, remember, it should really tell a story of you, not just your career, but who, what type of person are you? 
What is your management style? You know, what, what have you accomplished outside of your career? Because it speaks volumes today. People really want people who are invested and they're just not collect, sitting back collecting a paycheck. They really want people to be involved. And, and let's face it, philanthropy was a, a, a really weird, weird, weird word for the rich. Now, I mean, everybody wants to be involved in, in their communities or in things that help other people or animals or what have you, environment. So I think it's important that your resume speaks to the whole story, not just your career. Yeah, it's not just about you at work. I think right. that that's, that's, that's an important changed. thing. And people that Absolutely. are really wanting a good in-house culture are looking for those type of people. Absolutely. What about, Absolutely. What about the cover letter? So, you know, it used to be you put a nice cover letter together. Uh, do you still do that? Um, how, how, what do you recommend there? You know, it's a personal thing. Uh, and I would tell you it's very personal. I I never read a cover letter when I was hiring when I was hiring people. I, I felt that it was very formal and that was great. Uh, I worked for a very formal company, um, but I never I thought it was just sort of a waste of time and a waste of space. And it could be also confusing, especially if you have this great cover letter and then you go to the resume and you have a misspelled word. So I would say my personal preferences avoid a cover letter. Avoid if you're going to send it electronically or you're going to put it, you know, out on a um, job board or electronically, avoid it because it be can become confusing. Uh, so I say use your resume um, to introduce yourself. Make that first two or three sentences, um, you know, combined to say what you would have said in a cover letter. What is the objective of what you're trying to do? Um, because I think that what a cover letter does is it says, tells you all this great stuff of how you want to, you know, how much you're a people person and you love to do this or love to do that. And then your resume doesn't back it up. So I say my, my personal opinion, ditch the, ditch the letter, the cover letter It's not needed, especially in today's environment when we're doing so much stuff electronically, you could put a nice email together. You could put, you know, um, a message out there on LinkedIn. There's so many different things that you could do that will be a little bit more meaningful. So my preference is to ditch the letter. Yeah. All right. So, okay. They've gotten the call for the interview, right? They've done this resume. They get the call for the interview. Walk me through what it means to give a great interview. Well, so first of all, I think I mentioned this earlier, is the first thing you want to do is research the company. You need to know who it is that you're talking to, and you need to know what the company is about. And hopefully you have some idea either through their website or through other sources that um, you, you know what the direction they're going. And it matches similar to what you're looking for or what you strive to look for. So the next thing I would do is I would certainly make sure that you understand what is what the interview um, process is going to be. So are they going to call you on the phone? Are they going to have a Zoom? What have you? Regardless of that platform that you have an interview on, you have to actually prepare. <laughs> you have to dress for success. You have to have mentally, um, if you're do, doing a phone, you have to mentally put on you know, your work clothes and your, your work mindset and be prepared to, um, you know, talk like you are in front of them. If you're going on a face-to-face -face interview, I recommend that you 
dress more professionally than what is required of the job. And I think what that does is it, it tells the hiring manager that you respect that you're meeting for the first time in person. Now, I'm not talking a full three-piece suit, men for ties or what have you. You need to understand the company's culture. If they're more relaxed, then you can be a little bit more relaxed. But go there groomed, go there well, you know, looking your best so that they get the first impression, a good first impression from you. I think one of the other things that's very important to do beforehand is review your resume and actually come up with some questions um, yourself and practice uh, either in a mirror or with a, a friend or significant other and practice answering some of, of questions, maybe about gaps in your career or maybe about longevity. If you if you were replaced a very short time, you might want to explain that. So be prepared to have those answers and make them positive. You have to keep an interview positive. You don't want to bring up negative um, you know, experiences or talk badly about another company. That's just not really you know, good behavior and it's just not going to look good for you. So the other thing I would tell you is you know, be prepared to ask questions about their company. If they, at the end of the interview, they ask you, do you have any questions? Ask them some, ask them some questions about the company. If you don't know what their growth strategy is or you don't know what their markets are or you don't know how many employees are in their company, you know, ask those questions. Do a little bit of, of, of back and forth with them so that they feel like there is interest. And I think in the conclusion of the, of the interview, you want to show your interest. You definitely want to say this has been a, a very interesting interview, very engaging, and I'm really interested in this role. You need to show your interest because that is going to definitely set you above and uh, above everybody else. Um, you know, you also want to make sure that you ask them, you know, after, after you've asked all these questions, are there any other concerns that you may have that I may not be qualified for this role? And that just lets the interviewer know that, you know, you really want to make sure that they know everything about you. You want to get it all out now so that there's no confusion later on. And then, Always ask, always be sincere and be thankful. Be grateful for the time and the interview. Um, you know, I really feel like that's another thing too that really stands out when I talk to some candidates is that they genuinely are grateful for the opportunity that they had a chance to talk. And then of course, always and always, this is old school, but I am a firm believer in this. You must follow up with a thank you note either an email. Uh, I love handwritten notes. When I get handwritten notes, I just melt like butter. <laughs> but definitely a, a, a personalized note of some sort, even if it's in through an email on LinkedIn or what have you, but make it personalized and make it genuine. And I think that definitely is something that will help set you apart. Uh, I think so. Because closing, closing an interview, it can always be so awkward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I love that idea of sometimes you walk away and you're like, oh, I wish I had done this. I wish you had said that. And usually it's fine. But right. I think sending up a sending a card or a note like that just helps them remember you a little bit. Yeah. And, and it shows that you're interested and that it means something to you. What other kinds of recommendations uh, can you offer to help people leave a lasting impression? You know, I think follow-up is key. You need to follow up. If you've built a rapport with the, the hiring manager or your recruiter, you know, don't leave it on their shoulders to follow up with you because usually nine times out of 10, a hiring manager has another job to do. So um, I would say that, you know, definitely they interviewed you. They brought you to the table. You need to stay at the table. 
And so I feel that, you know, following up with that, and it doesn't have to be, you know, what's your decision or anything like that. Just, I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that I'm still very interested in this position and I would love to have another opportunity to talk to you. Mm. Let me know if there's a good time where we can chat. Anything like that that engages somebody and tells them that you have a genuine interest and that you would like to, you know, continue the dialogue is always really key. And I think people that just sort of go through the interview and go, oh, I don't think I did well. And I, you know, I'm, I, I didn't, haven't heard from them in six weeks. My always, my question to them is, have you reached out to them? Have they, you know, have you, have you tried to connect them with them in LinkedIn? Have you tried to do this or that? And like, well, no. And I just tell you that today's world where, you know, a lot of people are running around, you know, doing a lot of different things and they're very busy, but stay connected. And because you never know when that person's going to go, you know what, I don't, I couldn't hire this individual because they didn't really fit right for us. But I'm, I'm at this, I'm in this networking group with, you know, Joe Smith and guess what? He needs this person. And I think this would be an ideal spot for them. So I'm going to recommend that he reach out to this person or vice versa. So you just never really know what kind of position it's going to put you in. And I think those people that def, that stay in touch, that keep that connection going, regardless whether they get hired or not, um, I think that's a positive thing. And it, it will definitely set you apart for sure. Hmm. What's your biggest pet peeve when people are interviewing? Oh, <laughs> I don't think we have that much time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I, here's, it, I think the one thing that would uh, be a pet peeve for me is if you do not take the time to listen to the question. So, you know, if you don't understand a question and you're trying to scramble to come up with an answer, you know, you have to be honest and just say, you know, I don't have an answer to that question, but I'll definitely think upon it. And maybe I could get back to you with the answer. Is there another question that maybe you could ask me, that, you know, in the meantime? I think being honest and, and totally just letting somebody know, you know, that they they need, you know, they can't answer that question. Um, and the other thing is if you draw draw out the answer, you know, if it's a question that they're looking for a specific answer, just get to it. Get to the answer. Don't drag it out. Don't hold them, you know, hostage on a call while you while you tell them, you know, your childhood story. That's just not going to work. You know, that that makes me remember I was interviewing a woman. This is years ago. I was hiring for an accountant position in a company. And um, she was so intelligent. Her resume, she had more degrees and certifications and experience that I could tell you. She would not answer my questions fully, any question that I asked her in the interview, it's like she danced around the answer, but she never answered me. And in she the did. end, I didn't hire her and she was probably right. really qualified, but in yeah. the end, I didn't hire her because of that. And she emailed me and she was upset. She's like, my qualifications stand on their own. And I said, I really appreciate that, but you never answered my questions. So I right. don't even know what, how you feel about your previous jobs or what your favorite part of accounting is or any of those things. And she was very upset, but that just, that's so true. When people don't answer your questions that I can you tell know, you, I've, I've you presented know? some really talented individuals to hiring managers and I, I, you know, I try and coach, but ultimately I really want people to show themselves off because it's really about them. It's not about me. And I only want them to really work for the job if they want it. I don't want to force, you know, force placements. That's just not, that's not what we're about. 
So it is frustrating when people just don't answer the question and they, they, because they don't either have a rant, the right answer, or they don't understand the question. Right. So, you know, having had a lot of experience in interviewing, I would, I, if I didn't get the answer I liked, I'd follow up with like, well, tell me about a time. <laughs> and that usually gave me the answer. But, you know, I think the key is for, for me, a pet peeve is if you don't have an answer for that question, be honest about it and say, is there another question? I don't seem to like have an answer for that right now. I probably can think of it later on, but could we ask, could you ask me another question that, you know, I might be able to help, you know, give you some more insight on me or something. But I think that's one of the, the key areas. Yeah. So if our listeners need additional advice or want to learn more about you or how you can help them, how can they get a hold of you? Very simply, uh, multiple ways. So they can call me. I love talking on the phone. I love to talk. <laughs> You're ultimate talker. So you can reach me at 941-867-1241. Uh, that goes right to my cell phone. I carry it with me everywhere. It also goes to my desk line. Or you can email us at kwalker at grnbradenton.com. You can visit our website and connect with me through there. There's a little link where you can send me a message, and that's just www.grnbradenton.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Snapchat. You can connect with me on Instagram <laughs> and on Facebook. <laughs> everywhere. We're everywhere. Yes. And again, it's really just simple. I'm Kim Walker, and my husband is Mike Walker. We're on uh, LinkedIn is where we work a lot of our, our space, clearly just because that's a, a great business environment. Um, but uh, yeah, you you can you can pretty much reach me. You can come to a NAWIC meeting and see me in Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Kim, thank you so much. This was really helpful, informative. I learned a few things today. I think the listeners will certainly uh, listen. I love what you're doing. Um, you. I love the unique way that you're doing it. I love your virtual format. You've shared some of that with me. I think that's really cool. And so I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. And I, I'm just, it, this was delightful. So thanks so much. We appreciate it. Sure. Anytime. So uh, that's it for tonight. Uh, Bye-bye, everybody. Kim is amazing. And it sure is nice to get some insights directly from someone who has her finger on the pulse of what's going on in the construction talent market right now. I hope you got some takeaways that will help you land that new job. Thanks, Kim Walker, for joining me. And as always, thank you to our sponsor and partner, TouchPlan, a leading construction planning software that makes project outcomes more predictable and profitable. It delivers approachable, progressive job site data and analytic solutions that transform construction into a more collaborative, transparent, and predictable process. TouchPlan is committed to the belief that learning from data is the key to rapid recovery from project variances and improving project certainty. And thank you for joining me today. That's all for now, but just remember, we are just getting started. <laughs>